Today on 91 Octane, your car says a lot about your intelligence. Sports cars are the answer to steroids. Real life gone in 60 seconds. Matt Damon has to make a new Ford movie. Racing in your 80s. Doug DeMuro shows us what's possible in the car world. And then finally a new segment, a race you've never heard of. The Ferrandi Grand Prix. Let's start the show. <laughs> Welcome to 91 Octane. I am John, and let's get right into it. Under the hood, the first, the car you drive can say a lot about you. For example, how dumb you are. Scrap Car Comparison surveyed 2,000 people and had them take IQ tests to see who this, who was the smartest on the road. And there are some surprises, some non-surprises. Now, I will disclose that this was done in the UK, so it's not representative of, uh, I guess, American drivers in this case, or really any other country. Um, but I imagine there isn't a ton of variance from country to country on what you drive and what your car says about you. So at number one with the highest IQ is Mini, which is weird uh, because BMW is on this list, but they're like near the bottom, like 13th. Um, but so Mini doesn't technically count as a BMW brand in this case. So they are actually the smartest on the road with an average IQ of 98 points. Um, following that, we've got Mazda at second, Toyota at third, Mercedes-Benz at fourth, and Nissan at fifth, rounding out the top five. Uh, now we're the bottom five. Or would be Volvo, Volkswagen, BMW, Fiat, and with the dumbest drivers on the road, sorry if I'm offending anybody, with the only average IQ to go below 90 points, Land Rover. Land Rover. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't really know a lot of Land Rover drivers. Uh, I've probably driven a lot more in the UK, maybe. We used to see them a lot more here when they were talking about them in a lot of the hip-hop music, but not so much anymore. We don't really see a lot of Land Rovers, so I'm not sure. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I couldn't make a, a, an assessment on stereotype. I just don't know enough. But for the listeners, I mean, do you agree? Or are you a Land Rover driver? Uh, and also agree with this statement. Uh, I hope not. But they did come in at 88 points, average IQ with the Land Rover. The Fiat and BMW drivers barely sneaking by in the 90s. So BMW drivers, let's see the stereotypes. They don't use their turn signals. I would say that's an indication of being dumb. Um, I mean, and that stereotype is rooted in some truth right i mean it's sort of a meme at this point but it was true at one point i think the bmw drivers have now become those bmw drivers have now become tesla drivers though um so maybe this is different but the survey was done recently um so they dug even deeper right so that was by brand so by brand land rover is the dumbest mini is the smartest 
Um, so if you want to show people that you're smart, go get into a Mini or a Mazda or a Toyota, apparently. Those are top three. I would say if, if we're counting podiums, which we absolutely do count podiums on this show, then Mini, Mazda, Toyota. Kia's in eighth right in the middle. Honda's at ninth right in the middle as well with Ford at tenth. Um, but they did do by fuel type. Now, the fuel types they used were gas, hybrid, diesel, and EV. And to my surprise, the highest average IQ was driven by gas. The ICE motor is indi an indication of intelligence, which I, I was, I guess, a bit surprised just because, I mean, EV is associated with, like, the future and technology and all that, so... Um, you can make an assumption that th that one might land somewhere at the top, uh, but it didn't. EV, much like the Land Rover, was dead last. Hybrid was second, diesel was third, and EV came in at last with fourth. Um, and this sort of backs up, I think, my statement that you know, old BMW drivers that gave BMW sort of the bad name on the intelligence are now becoming Tesla drivers. And it, what's funny here is that there is a lot of, albeit anecdotal evidence, that this is true, right? We are seeing so many videos on social media right now of people sleeping in their Teslas, which, okay, it's a feature, the car can do it, whatever, people have survived it, fine. But you can't tell me that's not a stupid thing to do, right? I mean, it's we're just not in a world where that is okay. I don't trust, I don't trust the other drivers on the road enough to do this myself. Not that I'm not saying that I'm a better driver than everyone on the road, but you should approach driving that way, right? A very cautious, be very, uh, you know, averse to to whatever dangers going on, and actually paying attention to your obstacles and surroundings, and make sure that nothing is going to interrupt your trip. If you're sleeping, you're not doing any of that. And I actually went to San Francisco this weekend to hang out with a friend. And on the way to San Francisco, sure enough, we passed by a Tesla. The wife is sitting right next to me, and she goes, that guy's sleeping in his car. And I look over, I mean, and he's got mouth agape. His tongue is basically falling out of his mouth. He is out, out completely. And going so much slower than everyone else in traffic. Um, so, I just yeah, this this vibes. Uh, they did break the 90 mark, which isn't saying a lot, really. They did break the 90 mark, uh, but they are dead last with gas coming in first. Now, some might say, oh, yeah, there's a lot more gas vehicles on the road still, so the numbers are skewed and this, this, and that. But, I mean, in this case, we're talking about averages, of course. You know, there's a way to in interpret this thing diff differently. Uh, but the survey said EV is last in this case. So we were going to stick with that. Now, the next one is, they divided up by was by color. Now, this one was a little less surprising. At the number one number, uh, the number one rank is white uh, with an average IQ of 95. Uh, gray uh, is second with a little behind it. And red, third, a little behind that. Black isn't actually down until number five. And dead last is green, which this is what I mean. Like, that's not, that's just probably no surprise to anybody. Okay, I know I'm making a lot of assumptions about people who drive green cars, 
But I can tell you from my experience, and I know this isn't the truth, right? Just in my experience, every green car owner I've met uh, fits what this survey is trying to say. Now, I'm not saying that every every person that drives a green car is uh, is dumb. I know that that is not true. It would be ignorant of me to say, but I have met a lot of, and and I'm talking a very very specific green, right? Like if if you're like British racing green, you know, like a forest green, probably not. But if it's like a lime green, then you start kind of getting some of the question marks, some of the stereotypes, right? A lime green car is a lot easier to meme than a forest green car. I think that's the, that's the indicator right there. And then finally. They categorized it by personalized license plates. Now, this one's easy, right? The no personalized license plate won it by three points at 94 uh, IQ points. And the yes personalized place got last in this case out of the two with a 92 average IQ. So um, it's a little little weird because I would argue that the personalized license plate is a little more creative. Right. But apparently it takes some level of or a lower level of intelligence uh, to embrace the practiced. But that is your uh, survey headline of the week. Now let's move on to our next headline. Steroids are now a thing of the past. Turns out that all you needed was a sports car. That's right. If you want to spike your testosterone, just buy that car you want. If that car makes you feel good, apparently that's all you need. At Concordia University in Montreal, they took 39 men and they put them into two cars. A $150,000 Porsche 911 and a 16-year-old Toyota Camry. They had to drive each car on a busy street, once on a busy street where they would be seen by women, and another on an empty road. Uh, each car essentially driving four times uh, with uh, yeah with two cars. Now, after an hour, their saliva was tested for testosterone, and researchers found that in the Camry, their testosterone levels remained low, while in the sports car, their testosterone levels spiked. And this was regardless of women being present. It, it didn't matter, right? That, that was a variable that they could literally throw away. Uh, all you needed was to be in a car that made you feel good and your testosterone spike, which means you can go to the gym and get bulky. That's not the truth. That might have been a bit, bit of a clickbaity title because, um, I mean, you don't really know if this actually maintains those levels, but at the very least, it did spike them. The lead researcher said, in other words, just put a guy in a Porsche and his testosterone levels shoot up whether people watch or not, which is exactly... Uh, what it's saying here. So this sort of proves, right? Like, yeah, there is a li- little level of peacocking in the car world, right? Where you want you want people to, you know, think your car is cool or whatever. But the the discussions we've had on this podcast a, a lot in the past about how a car makes you feel, what you know, what, why why you choose to drive a car, why you feel like you fit a certain car profile versus another, I think is rooted in this. Right. I mean, we 
if your if your car is causing your hormone levels to spike, that's gonna cause a a sort of response within your body that says, "Hey, this is a good thing. I need to keep doing this. This feels good." And it has nothing to do with the outside world. It's just man and machine. I thought that was pretty cool that they even did this test. Like, who who even bothers doing this type of research? But I'm so so happy they are because now I know that every time I jump into my cars and I'm feeling some type of way down the street. I am spiking my testosterone, and I'm being a healthier man. Now let's go into our next headline. <laughs> Technology is making it easier for Nicolas Cage to be gone in 60 seconds. Now, th this was shocking to me because I know there are methods to steal cars uh, with new technology, but I didn't know of this one. A Vimeo user going by Matt Hart posted a surveillance video of a thief stealing a car in 67 seconds. This is literally 67 seconds. I counted from when the thief arrived to when the thief actually got the car moving out of the driveway, and that was 67 seconds, which I would say is still gone in 60 seconds. The video shows a thief with a laptop strapped around their shoulder, and they're digging at the front driver's side corner of, of the now-stolen Lexus, which I thought was weird. I had never seen that before. And it turns out that there's a fairly common CAN bus bypass at that attack that people implement through the headlights of the car, which is wild to me. So you can plug the CAN bus bypass into the headlight wire plug, and this allows the emergency unlock, and the car starts immediately. This seems like a big security issue. Uh, the original method that I was aware of was the relay attack, where they amplify the signal from the key fob that's inside your house. Um, but that method has the drawback that as soon as you're far enough from the uh, from the key fob, you're not going to be able to turn that car back on again. So you have to keep that car on if you want to keep using it for whatever they're doing. But with this CAN bus bypass, they can essentially start that car anytime they need, drive it to wherever they want. I still don't know why you would steal a car, honestly. Like, what are you going to do with it? I mean, other than maybe committing a crime that night or something, I don't know. Why, why bother? But OEMs are going to have to start putting some safety measures in soon because insurance companies like State Farm and Progressive have already stopped insuring certain Kia and Hyundai models do how easy it is to steal them. And this is using the, the relay attack with these cars in, in most cases. Now that there's this CAN bus bypass where a guy literally just shows up in your driveway with a laptop, plugs it in, and the car turns on, um, and he can drive away in 67 seconds. Yeah, we're getting into a world where, I mean, stealing a car is, it's, it's just, it's too easy. Um, you know, it's, or, or we're going to have to go back to using the club. Cause I think in the, in that case, I mean, we'd have still cut the steering wheel or whatever and figured it out, but we need better safety measures. And I mean, you, you shouldn't really be able to take a headlight off a car, or reach behind a headlight, because he didn't actually remove anything. Reach behind a headlight, unplug it, plug in your laptop, and be uh, be on your way in 67 seconds. I mean, you're not, by the time you wake up and go outside, the car is gone. Like, even if you hear anything. Even if you got a notification on your phone. Even, like, a, if an alarm starts blaring. Like, you're not going to make it down there in time to keep your car. So, and, you know, if insurance companies stop covering it, then you're SOL. I guess we'll all be on bikes. Those will get stolen, too. I don't know. But it's getting crazy. So uh, we're probably going to have a, a new Gone in 67 sm m 60 Seconds movie come out because it's getting much, 
much too easy. Now our next headline, Matt Damon and Christian Bale weren't covering the past. They were telling us the future. Ford has announced plans to return to F1 for the 2026 season. Ford is actually partnering with, partnering with Red Bull to build a power plant under the 2026 engine regulations, which feature 100% sustainable fuels and increasing the electrical engine components to almost 50%. Uh, Red Bull had discussions with Porsche and Honda uh, about the same project, but Ford said, I got you, and came in and take it out right from under them. So both Red Bull Racing and AlphaTauri are expected to run Ford-branded engines from 2026 on. And the deal involves uh, Ford offering funding and technical input in return for the naming rights on that motor. So this is very, very much a collaboration between Red Bull and Ford. Me being a Red Bull fan, uh, it automatically moves Ford up a little bit. You know, I started looking up Mustangs again. You know, it moves them up a bit, I think, in, uh, in sort of my rankings, which I don't even really have rankings. I don't know they would land. But they did gain some points. I thought this was pretty cool that they're coming back. Now, the Ford contributions in F1 already include the Car Cosworth DFV, which was the F1 single most successful engine design. And in 2004, Ford sold its Works F1 team uh, to Jaguar uh, and, and Red Bull. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and that was their last F1 season. <sighs> Sorry, I had to take a drink. Now... What are Red Bull's plans until 2026? So in 2021, Red Bull won the driver's title with Honda, struck a deal with Honda using their engines even after Honda withdrew. So it's now 2022, and the Honda engine helped uh, Red Bull double title. So now uh, that deal remains in place through 2025. So Honda is actually providing those engines until Ford takes over which is a bit odd because Honda actually made an announcement that they are returning to F1 as an engine supplier as well in 2026 on the heels of the Ford announcement. So this kind of gives some questions, right? Like, is there potential for drama here now? You know, because Honda could have stayed on. Red Bull decided to move on with Ford. Now there's this weird period where... The X has to play. The X's have to play nicely uh, with Honda and Red Bull, knowing that the end of the relationship is happening a few years away. Now, I mean, most of these things, there's there's a lot of professional and there be professionalism. There can be a lot of consequences for sabotaging a team, and there's really, if you think about it, there's no real motivation for that. Um, but it, it is interesting to see uh, that Red Bull, who has won with Honda. It has decided to partner with Ford instead. Um, I'm wondering what uh, Honda offered for those 2026 motors. Uh, or maybe they're just technologies not up to date or, or not as advanced as where Ford is in terms of their pitch to Red Bull. Um, or just Red Bull. Uh, Ford decided to put in more money than Honda was, was willing to put up. It's going to be interesting, though. Uh, it's, it is nice to see Honda and Ford back. Uh, in F1, I think that's going to be exciting for the sport. I wonder what this means for Cadillac, who has been 
dropping announcement after announcement that they were trying to enter F1. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Ford, Ford is back as an engine supplier, mostly, not as the actual team that Cadillac is trying to put together with the Andretti's. Uh, but we'll see where this actually goes. Now, our next headline. Some of y'all have garage queens that don't see the sun. And we have here an 83-year-old that's tracking a 1 of 10 Alpha Julia TZ2. So RSR Nurberg posted a video of an 83-year-old maestro that shows no signs of slowing down. Now, the car he chooses to drive with is the Alpha Julia TZ2. As I mentioned, it's a real-wheel drive. 1.6 liter four-cylinder engine at 170 horsepower. It's a five-speed, and it weighs 1,300 pounds. It, that's, this car is light as hell. Now, the biggest, the biggest surprise here is that this car, valued by Haggerty, right, is estimated at $2.9 million. Must be nice, right? Must be really, really nice. I could never, at least now. I mean, how many millions or billions do you have to have to track a $2.9 million car? Now I'm making a lot of assumptions, a lot, a lot of assumptions. It could be that this guy is just like, you know what? I mean, he's just a normal dude. He came up on this car a long time ago. He's had it for a really, really long time. Can't take it with him. Might as well enjoy it. Still a really, really, really cool story. He's actually racing currently and intends to race next year as well. Now, I started looking into the, sort of this vintage racing side of things, uh, you know, a little more to see is it common for, you know, to see 83-year-olds on the track because I would love longevity in my game. Um, and it turns out there is a lot of vintage racers. Uh, but it turns out there's also a lot of money in that world too. They pay for nearly identical cloned replica, replicas of their cars so they can own them and race them. So that way they don't have to... This one isn't original, but it looks like most people take their $3 million classics, make replicas of them, and then they'll track those. I don't know how effective that is, or, I mean, if they're spending a ton, a ton of money to make it, like, to the spec replicas because I would, you know, I don't think that they'd get it completely right. Or they could even do them better, right? They could use contemporary technology in a lot of uh, creating these clones. Maybe the cars they come up with are actually better than the originals in terms of a driving experience. That's entirely possible too. But there's, it's, it's, a, it's a widely known practice within the vintage racing world. So I am 83 years old. Um, I am still driving in a E36 M3 at the track. For some reason, E36 M3s are so rare now that they've skyrocketed into, I don't know, let's call it $500,000. I'm pretty sure some of them had sold for 150000 at this point. I think Paul Walker's Lightweights did. Uh, maybe even more than that. I forget at this point. Um, so let's say. Right. So then instead of tracking that, continuing to track the car that I have, I make a replica of that car and track that one. Unlikely. This is a very unlikely scenario. As as I am just going through the scenario, I'm realizing how dumb it sounds. These classic cars, it makes sense. But who's to say? Right. Like when I'm 83, that's like 50 years from now. Uh 
it's technically a classic. And if it's still around, it might be worth a lot of money. But, I mean, to think about that right now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I guess there might have been a period for these cars. This is a 1 of 10, so I can't compare this car, my car, to this one, right? But I'm also not saying 2.9 million either, right? I said 500,000, so I don't know. I think the only thing I'm taking away from this is that I really, really, really hope that I get the longevity that this guy is getting where he's 83 years old and racing um, in Europe, actually. So uh, that's my only wish. Good luck to him. Awesome RSR Nurberg to cover this and actually plug me into the world of clone replica cars for, for rich guys that don't want to burn their uh, or, you know, regular guys, maybe that don't want to burn their uh, expensive garage queens. Now let's move into our last headline. Cars and bid, cars and bids just showed us what's possible for a car dude with a camera and a dream. Doug DeMuro's cars and bids has received a $37 million investment from the Sherton Group. Um, Doug DeMuro, I mean, he's got 4.5 million subscribers, millions of car uh, views on his car reviews. He started in 2013 on a, as a freelancer for Jalopnik. Um, and he started video uh, doing reviews on special cars he owned. I think the first one was the Ferrari 360. He later realized that his viewers were more interested on getting his perspective on all cars and not just the cars that he owned. Um, so he started to... Uh, reach out to dealerships and different organizations to get cars and review them. And he got he gained a loyal audience, but he wanted to do something that was less reliant on the YouTube algorithm. Right. He wanted to get away, get away from that, just like everybody else does. So he partnered with a man uh, with the name of Blake Machado to large to launch cars and bids. He immediately hit rapid growth. It was a uh, ninety nine hundred or so submissions on launch. He jumped from two auctions a day to ten a day. Uh, they were seeing a lot of grow, a lot of growth. So this led to interest from investors naturally, and there were a lot of investors. But it turns out that Doug actually chose the Churnin Group because they work specifically with creator-owned and creator-led businesses. Uh, specifically, Meat Eater and Barstool Sports was called out, which is pretty cool, right? So that's sort of an indicator that. Maybe the the cars and bids or ecosystem won't be changing too much as a result of this investment. But you have to imagine that, you know, a thirty seven million dollar injection of money is going to come with uh, some some red tape or some requirements or some expectations. The first of which has already been called out. So then now they need to put in a CEO for cars and bids who I believe before this. Uh, was essentially just run by Doug and Blake, right? The two that or that started the company. Now, Roy 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 Choi will be the CEO of Cards and Bids going forward, and he has experience as CEO of BitTorrent um, and Lux, and he began his career at eBay Motors. So he he's announced that his plans are to focus on accelerating growth of the marketplace. Um, through a greater investment in content, technology, and business operations. This is this statement is very broad. I mean, it covers it covers anything and everything. So, it doesn't tell us much about what his plans are. Um, but the fact that he does include content uh, means that in some capacity, Doug will still be part of this. Some would say this is selling out. I don't believe that's the case, right? I think this is just 
making the car community bigger and better. One, I'm glad there's a competitor to bring a trailer. Uh, you know, like I think competition breeds, uh, it's an advantage for the consumer, right? It's an advantage for us who buy products, who use these products for there to be other competitors in the market and competitors that do well. And Cars and Bids, I think, is a huge competitor for Bring a Trailer, which is good for us, right? And then at the same time, this is great for Doug, and it's great for people who who have the dreams to create something like this, right? To create some, some bring some idea to life and make it so that investors want to give you money for it, people want to use it. I think that's a dream of a lot of us, right? And so to come up with just a random idea to move away from relying solely on creating content, I think that's awesome for Doug. Um, I don't know the guy, but uh, he seems like a really cool dude. And, I mean, congratulations to him on this uh, achievement because I think this is a huge and massive achievement. I'm still, you know, perusing cars and bids, hoping the. Uh, you know, include uh, or knock off one of the tasks on my bucket list, right, to buy a car from one of these auction sites. I still need to get my E36, um, so maybe I'll find it there. Who knows? Haven't gotten the opportunity lately, um, but it looks like we're going to get way more opportunities going forward considering they have $37 million to play with. Now, the downside of some of these investments, uh, which, of course, hasn't really been spoken of uh, for, for the most part here, is that, you know, that of the expectations that this comes with. Right. So now, uh, you know, there, there has to be a certain level of profit. There has to be, you know, the, the bottom line has to bring in bring, bring in a certain amount of dollars. Um, you know, you have to operate a certain way, you know, the corporate life and corporate rules now start coming into play uh this get this will get a lot bigger um the Sherman group you know is in it to make money that's really it right there we can't assume that they're passionate about cars it looks like they're passionate about content creators since that's where they tend to invest most of their money but it could be that's just because that's where they make the most money and so those 37 million dollars have to turn into you know double that maybe i don't know what they're looking for but then they might end up selling it to someone else as a result. Uh, and I think including in this $37 million investment, uh, Doug's name might be called out as part of the, the rights um, that they're selling to the churning group. So um, there, there's a lot, uh, I think, being promised to them, a lot that's going to fall under their purview responsibilities. So I hope this is all positive. Um, I'm going to assume it's going to be all positive, but I'm going to temper my excitement uh, until I see what you know what the changes are that come through, because for the most part, I think Cars and Bids does pretty well uh, where it's at now. Now let's move into our second and last segment of this episode: a race you've never heard of, the Fur Rondi Grand Prix. And the Fur Rondi Grand Prix is a downtown street race in Alaska, and Rondi is actually short for Rendezvous. And so they have a festival, an annual festival in Alaska called the Fur Rendezvous, the Alaskan Fur Rendezvous. And this is essentially a festival that includes all types of activities and games and uh, celebrations and parades. Uh, I think they have like ice skating and hunting and a, a bunch of different things. And throughout the history of uh, the, uh, the Rondi, which we'll call it from now on, the Fur Rondi, um, they started including racing um, in it. And so part of that festival, when it started in, it's actually started in 1938, 
but the Grand Prix wouldn't kick off until 1961, and it is recognized as the oldest street race in the U.S. Um, it's not still it's not going on anymore um, for reasons we'll discuss in a bit. Uh, but it, it apparently, according to when it started and it being a street race, it is the oldest sanctioned street race in the U.S. Now, the Alaskan Sports Car Club started running this .61 mile race downtown in the association with the Ferrandi. But in 1964, there was an earthquake in the city where it's held and it destroyed the, cur- the course, which moved the race onto ice and ultimately becoming the North American Ice Racing Championship. And this, ac- this race actually attracted uh, pro drivers from all over the nation. Um, so it wasn't, uh, it's weird that it's not more popular because apparently it was very popular amongst a lot of racers of the time. Um, if it wasn't for the earthquake, it would have continued, um, to be a street race, uh, but I think it would actually helped it to become, uh, an ice racing, uh, event as it attracted a lot more people. Now, um, the the cars that dominated the Ferrandi were Fiats, Porsches, Volkswagens, Datsuns, Toyotas, and Mazdas. They seem to handle the conditions best, which is very, very icy, cold uh, conditions. And in 1966, the course was moved back downtown until 1972 when it all seemed to be over. So th- this this event was a very challenging to have uh for some reason i mean there aren't a lot of uh there weren't a lot of injuries there is no recorded deaths with the event in the span uh that they ran uh but for some reason or other the earthquake being the first one and for other reasons after that it was moved around a lot and so it ran from 1966 to 1972 but in 1977, the Grand Prix came back to run a 0.71 mile course and then added some new classes like the Legends class that ran Yamaha 1600 powered cars. So it, it, it would go away and then come back and it would go away and then come back. And uh, I think as it arrived again in 1977, it started to gain a little more popular popularity. And some of the most popular classes were the Improved touring classes, which include GTIs, RX-7s, Neons, and Rabbits. And you got to consider, this is the 70s, right? So we're talking, talking Gen 1 GTIs and RX-7s and, you know, Neons and Rabbits um, running in these courses. Some other classes were the Prepared class, which was usually dominated by 911-powered Beetles. Uh, this was a very, very popular swap uh, for these races and ice racing uh, back at this time, so they would put 911 motors in Beetles and run those. And the conditions uh, for, for for this race, I mean, despite it being a 0.71 mile course, there was a lot of room for door ba- door banging, uh, snowbank surfing, right? I mean, there's it's it's there's slippery conditions, and there was there was a lot of uh, uh, taps, a lot of wall taps and door taps. But that seemed to be it. Like I said, there were there were uh, seldomly heard of injuries. Most of the time, there were some, you know, a lot of bumps and, and crashes and stuff. But they were very minor and into snow. And there were zero deaths, uh, as far as I could find. There is no reported deaths at this event, uh, this racing event, at least. Uh, you know, due to really any accidents or even spectators. So. 
it's it, it should have kept going. I mean, this sounds like a, it sounds like a really fun race. I still want to go drive in the ice. I mean, we see it a lot in like your Top Gears and you know those those type of channels where they go ice racing and and it looks really fun and you're like drifting easily. I think that would be really really cool to do. Like maybe do a court, course with like dirt fish and then find a way to end up in Europe and ice race. I don't know that I'd ice race. I'd like to just lap for a little while and then see where I go. I feel like it'd be too way too slippery conditions to race. Nah, screw it. I'm racing. Nah, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm definitely, definitely down to race immediately. If someone has a seat for me, uh, we end up in, you know, some of those really, really cold or maybe even just Alaska. Let's not leave the U.S. or somewhere in Europe. And we want to run the ice. Let me know. I'm down to come through. Um, I will race. I will not guarantee a podium, at least not on my first shot. But on the second one, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But that is the Fur Rondi Grand Prix. Now, it did uh, the Fur Rondi did con- does continue to this day. The event is still there. Uh, but the Grand Prix stopped in 2007. And this was due to the cost to prepare the track and lack of sponsors. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? I mean, there isn't a lot uh, of reach. It's going to be hard for most of the U.S. population to get there, you know, to get to Alaska and see this event. Um, But I think if you could find a way to televise it, it would be pretty cool um, to see. I I think the TV... I think TV deserves more ice racing. I enjoy watching that. I know that's a sort of a skill in itself, but maybe there just aren't enough of us that want to see that that would warrant a sponsorship. So essentially, they you know sort of ran out of money to to put the Grand Prix on, and in 2007, the end of the great era of downtown racing uh, was done. Um, and there apparently the, there are two major Beatles Volkswagens, um, that came out of this that, uh, have a lot of videos on YouTube actually, uh, that cover the Fur Rondi Grand Prix. So I definitely recommend you go, you know, search the Fur Rondi, F-U-R-R-O-N-D-Y Grand Prix on YouTube and look at some of those videos because it's pretty cool. There's definitely a lot of wrecks, a lot of door bangs, but it's exciting. It's like a... It reminds me a lot of Rallycross. I like watching a lot of Rallycross. Rallycross feels like the WWE of racing almost sometimes. Lots of door banging, lots of action. Um, it's definitely not scripted. It's actual racing. But it's just, it it's, has the excitement. It has sort of the excitement of a drift event and the excitement of a race put together. Um, and that's sort of how I imagine the Ferrandi. Maybe that's what they should do. They should find a way to include the Ferrandi Grand Prix as a rallycross uh, race with uh, WRC. Mm, that'd be pretty cool. I think that could work. You know, kind of like they're doing NASCAR races at the Coliseum now with the short oval. I mean, this is sort of like th- this would be like the WRC short event. Or some other organization that does Rallycross. Maybe do it in X Games. X Games happens once a year. And I think they started. They stopped like moving it around. They were doing it in L.A. for a really long time. So maybe just do that and then have like a satellite event in Alaska. And this is part of the X Games. They need to introduce ice driving in the X Games. I don't even think they do uh, Rally or Rallycross anymore. They might. 
It's been a long time since I've seen the X Games. The X Games might not even be on. I may be just like dating myself at this point. No, I think the X Games are still on. It's just not a lot of people watch it. I feel like the X Games kind of went the way of the early 2000s car scene, where now it's it's niche again. Or maybe I was just part when I was part of like the skateboarding world. It seemed like that was the whole the whole world. It's so hard to say. I don't know what I'm saying. Now I'm rambling. But anyway, that is your Fur Rondi Grand Prix, uh, a race you've likely never heard of. There's probably some snob out there who's like, oh, I heard of this. I heard of this. All right, cool. You can DM me and give me some like insight and facts uh, that I can continue sharing about the Fur Rondi Grand Prix because I'm sure there's a lot of stories that came out of this. It'd be cool to see a movie around this. Just... Uh, the the we can include like the earthquake like the event stopping the crisis of having to start again and moving it creating a new course losing sponsors i think it's got a recipe for for a pretty good racing movie we also need a group b movie i don't know why we don't we don't have a, a group b rally movie we need more of that i think there's a short movie out there but it doesn't really go into a lot of the driving it's like a 10 minute movie with like one of the game of thrones guys uh, but I think we do need, we need more movies around this type of stuff, at least for me. I don't know if they'll make a movie just for me. I guess I should, sh I should just shut up and make the movie. I think that's, that's where we need to go with this. I don't have Doug DeMuro $37 million investment money though. So that movie won't happen. I might make a reel about group B. That's the only thing I can commit. I won't even commit that though. It's gotta be a good idea. But I think that's your show. I am John, and you can find us at 91octane.com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, follow us on Instagram at 91octane. Like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.